Hello and welcome to Written in Uncertainty, an Elder Scrolls podcast sat firmly in the grey maybe of Tamriel and proud member of the Robots Radio Podcast Network. My name is Aramethius and in this episode we're looking at one of the fundamental forces of Tamriel that's part of the very character of Mundus itself, although it may have been some happy accident. Today we're asking, what is magic on Tamriel and how does it work? Before we get to that though, I just want to say thank you to a few people. I just want to start off with saying thank you ever so much to my latest patron, Topsy. Thank you so much for your support, Topsy. I really do appreciate it and I hope that you've been enjoying access to all of the notes and so on as I've been working through this topic. If you want to see what my thought process is with this, get early access to all my content and exclusive access to my notes, then head over to patreon.com forward slash written uncertainty and sign up. And I also want to say thank you ever so much to LT, who has dropped me a quick coffee on Kofi. Um, I've been really bad about promoting the fact that it's there, but it is going to be in the show notes. And I'm going to shout about it now. If you want to drop me just a one-off payment rather than signing up to support the show ongoing, uh, then head over to ko-fi.com forward slash Aramithius. That is ko-fi.com forward slash Aramithius. Or if you wanted to support the show while you were doing some shopping, head over to writtenuncertainty.com forward slash sponsors and check out some of the deals on there. You can get money off on Loot Crate. You can get an extended trial on audiobooks.com and you can also give um, give some more money to the show when you shop at Green Man Games with no cost to you whatsoever. And with that, I think we should probably get to the show so strap in and let's talk about some magic i just want to kick off by saying that this is my view of magic and how magic works i'm presenting some other ideas and some theories but by and large this is grounded in my own understanding and it will probably not be the entire truth of the matter so if you have some other ideas on how this works or you disagree with me or agree with me have have some other information to give whatever it is please do get in touch i'd absolutely love to hear from you drop me a line at written at gmail.com or tweet me on twitter at aramithius I also have a Discord server as well, and everything to get into that is in the show notes. So whatever you think about this, please, please do get in touch. Let me know your thoughts as well, and I'll possibly respond to things on the show if you send if you send things over. And, and if you want to check where I'm getting all of my ideas from, references to all of the texts that I'm citing will be up at writtenuncertainty.com forward slash podcast forward slash magic you can see a transcript of this podcast there and there's hyperlinks there to all of the text that i'm referencing so what is magic for starters i suppose the simple answer is that it's a fundamental part of the world of the elder scrolls it's an extension of the laws of physics if you like this is one of a few models of magic that you'll see presented in fiction. Uh, the other ones you'll tend to see are that it's an inherent property or a skill for a certain class of people, uh, like wizards and witches from Harry Potter, who can just do magic while muggles just can't. 
um, or it's an interaction with another class of being altogether, which is what quite a few religions will claim that Christianity is say that magic is interaction with either spirits or demons. And I think Hinduism has a similar approach, although it's a bit more neutral than it is in the Judeo-Christian model. So in that model, magic is relational rather than something that's necessarily entirely neutral. But The Elder Scrolls follows a lot of recent fantasy in treating magic as an inherent property of the world, a bit like electricity, and it can generally be understood like that. It's also quite all-pervasive in The Elder Scrolls. It's something that's not only used by mages, but it's also part of the very makeup of Mundus. It was baked in from the get-go. So the third edition Pocket Guide to the Empire puts it like this, quote, Imperial Theosophy teaches us that our world was born from Magicka, the creative force that informs and sustains all life. The sources of magic are the many and diverse heavens beyond the void, collectively known as the Aetherius. If this is true, then magic is essentially the Higgs boson of the Elder Scrolls universe, a thing that allows all other things to exist. However, as much as this is poetic, I do have my doubts about the idea that magic is the driving force behind everything. We'll get to another potential driver for the Elder Scrolls Cosmos a bit later. I'm also not totally sure that the Pocket Guide is reliable because it grounds its claims in theosophy. Now, theosophy might have a different definition in Tamriel to what it does in this world, but if we run with the actual definition, or the definition that we know, it's the idea that knowledge of God can be achieved through direct ecstatic revelation. If that's the case, then the perception that magic is a part of anything from the start is already coming from a being or a mortal group or group of mortals that's already surrounded by magic. So that's not really the best position to evaluate it from, at least not independently. And magic as a thing, though, is quite relational. We'll get to precisely why and how a bit later. And while that perception isn't entirely right, I think there is something to it. There's the talk of the many and diverse heavens that comprise Aetherius, which is the source of magic, and that seems to be in line with what most other sources on the matter tell us. The core of this is that magic was introduced into the world by Magnus, the architect of Mundus, and the sun in the stars, the holes that were torn when he and his followers fled from Aetherius, are the main places where magic comes from. However, those sources do give us some possible contradictions to the basic narrative. I mean, for the most part, they associate magic with light, which you'll hear in most places in the Elder Scrolls community when they discuss this stuff. However, try as I might, I really can't find any passages that directly link the common view that the sun in particular is a huge gateway for magic. There's just the story of Magnus leaving and his being associated with sorcery. There's nothing that directly ties sunlight itself to magic. Only we'll get to some of the consequences of what might happen if that was the case a bit later. But for now, I just want to talk about some of the possibilities for where magic does come from. I mean, one of the biggest candidates is the stars. There's much more to support this for the stars more than just the sun. For one thing, the Aelids put a particular emphasis on starlight in their magic. Uh, from the book Magic from the Sky, 
it says this, quote, The ancient Aeliads believed that Nern was composed of four basic elements, earth, water, air, and light, and of these four elements, they believed the most sublime form of light was starlight. The stars are our links to the plane of Aetherius, the source of all magical power, and therefore light from the stars is the most potent and exalted of all magical powers. And notice it's the stars that are celebrated here, not the sun. I, it's possible that the sun is doing something different as a result, and I know being thoroughly pedantic and picky, the sun is a star, but I get the feeling that they would make some sort of a difference between the two here. I don't see a conventional Earth-like cosmology being portrayed to that degree in the Elder Scrolls. And the book Mysteries of the Mundustones also indicates that individual stars and constellations have their own form of magic that are distinct from each other, and presumably as well as the sun, if the sun is part of where magic comes from. Quote, the constellations each occupy their own magical domains, as evidenced by the observable energies that emanate from Mundustones and their ability to instill power into individuals. We do not know who erected these stones, which can be found all across all of the provinces of Tamriel, or for what purpose, but their magical resonance tells us clearly that each constellation's signature is quite unique. This would also explain why the Celestials are quite so different. They're condensed from the magic of particular constellations, not from Magicka in general. So that will mean that if you condense a particular form of starlight, it will give you a particular being if it attains sentience, which is what the Celestials are as far as I'm concerned. Um, the unlicensed text, Vex Teaching, also mentions that the Hurling Disc in particular, to quote, contains a strange mingling of magic from both the solar and lunar spheres. That does indicate that the sun has some effect on the nature of magic as well as the moons, but quite what effect that actually is and what difference that makes isn't really clear. I don't recall anything about the moon being related to magic in, in many other texts. There is the idea of lunar currency, but that's more to do with souls rather than magic. Perhaps the weirdest spin on this sort of thing, though, is that magic is fragments of Magnus himself. Varieties of Faith puts it like this, quote, The god of sorcery, Magnus, withdrew from the creation of the world at the last second, though it cost him dearly. What is left of him on the world is felt and controlled by mortals as magic. Now, if this were true, then there wouldn't be any particular link between light and magic, but instead there would essentially be severed parts of a god or god dandruff, broken down bits of a god, however I want to gross you out with that sort of a metaphor, just kind of floating around and acting as some sort of elemental particle. I'm a little bit less inclined to believe that personally though, because although there are some texts that refer to magic and Magnus synonymously, the book, Before the Ages of Man, directly calls Magnus magic and declares that he left once convention at Armantia was complete. So magic has another meaning beyond just being the force, I suppose. And, and you'll also note that I've been talking about magic so far, but the stuff that's used up when you cast spells in the games is magicka. Now, the 
Daggerfall Guide talks about Magicka as being the form that magic takes when it's within Mundus. And so while it's in Aetherius, it's magic and it becomes Magicka when it's used on Mundus. Just to give a quick distinction there. And I think that kind of holds up, although the term magic gets used a bit more loosely as well. So maybe not. I tend to treat them as a bit synonymous. If it becomes important in this cast, I will shout about it. And so you can understand where I'm coming from. I also wanted to dig a bit into what the relationship between magic and light could mean as well. The text I quoted earlier from Magic of the Sky equates magic with light directly, and there are some indications in the book De Rerum Direnis that it could possibly have an impact on the very functioning of the world as it is. In particular, this line, quote, for the most part, of course, they were used in flavouring cooking, but as you know, hardly any plant grows on the surface of our world without a magical potential. I am possibly reading too much into this, but it feels like plants on Mundus may absorb something of magicka or magic as they grow. That could potentially be where the impact of plants in alchemy comes from, that they are processing magicka as they grow and you're then tweaking that as you combine the different herbs into whatever they're going to be but i am less inclined to think that magicka and light are the same thing in general though because it doesn't really explain why magic works in somewhere like blackreach which has never seen sun or starlight and you can still cast spells down there so I think magic is something that permeates Mundus rather than just being a byproduct of light. It might be introduced to the world through light, but it's something that will then rest in objects and kind of sink in long after the actual light is gone. And I think that they're definitely not the same thing uh, because there's also some references in some of the weirder forms of magic that contradict that or imply that you can do things to magic that aren't related to light or the physical structure of the world if i can put it that way and there are also other places that magic comes from than just the light of the sun and the stars uh, the most obvious magic source or maybe channel is a better word that isn't light giving of towers which harness creatia if you want to believe the unlicensed text the numantia intercept to quote that cultivation creatia that washed into the void from Aetherius became the rule among the stones uh, the stones are the heart of the towers the things that give the towers their power by the way and there's a second quote that comes in saying this like all the polydox constructs of the earliest oldma whatever their abnegaric creed White Gold Tower is a conduct of Creatia, Ard Sembia Sembio, brought to bring about a reversal of the congealing spiritual bleed caused by the convention. In other words, it was a focus point for re-reaching the divine. The text Chaotic Creatia, the Azure Plasm, goes into some more detail on this, stating that Chaotic Creatia is the stuff of oblivion itself, which is then given shape by something else. Other forms of creation clearly exist as well, but it's not really treated as the same thing as magic. And there's also shadow magic, 
which comes from somewhere else entirely but we'll save that to the end because it's something that's totally outside everything else and needs a bit of unpacking or maybe not just to throw a total spanner in the works it's possible that shadow magic is just outside of the classifications that we have for magic the schools of magic inform a lot of how we think about it but they are not the be all and end all they are definitely artificial constructs although there are some different accounts about how they came about the book proposal schools of magic is written by gabriel benelli or gabriel benel i'm not sure how you pronounce that a breton who we can meet in the elder scrolls online who claims to have got the classification from a dunmurray magic school and if that's the case then they would have been relative new by the time of the interregnum although in fairness we don't know how old the dunmurray school in question is however the book a minor maze credits shalidor with the creation of the schools while the black arts on trial states that venus galarian created them and just to back up the idea that venus is long behind it the novel feyfoken has a passing reference that venus quote restructured the schools to be understandable by the masses which is in effect the same thing as creating them it's reclassifying magic I don't really think that all these accounts can be entirely reconciled, although we could argue that the Dunmer could have absorbed some of the school's structure from Shalador, although that is in a fairly narrow historical window before the dissolution of the First Nord Empire, but that wouldn't account for why Venus is credited for their creation, unless Gabriel rediscovered them and then Venus claimed all the credit for it after the Interregnum. And that's possible i guess but it's a little convoluted so the overall structure is that shalidor comes up with them then the dunma pick them up while morrowind is being ruled by the nords then when the nordic empire collapses the knowledge of that link is lost then gabrielle rediscovers them from dunma texts and then vena says oh that's a neat idea i'm gonna steal it that's i think the simplest way i can do it but it's quite convoluted and it might not be the final answer regardless of how they came about several sources do point out that the schools are arbitrary creations and not something that are inherent in the nature of magicka however i think the schools do have an impact on the kind of magic that a given spellcast can wield this is because it defines how a user thinks about magic in the same way that you can examine something from multiple perspectives and different academic disciplines which will then impact your interpretation of whatever you're studying a chemist or a biologist will have quite different interpretations of what happens during digestion and decomposition for example we do have some indications that similar things happen with magic but the effect gets magnified quite a bit so the subjectivity goes up we have a quote from the book a tragedy in black that a succinct expression of a basic principle that gets hinted at in a lot of places it is a folk tale but the expression puts it across really clearly so just please forgive me for not going into a detail in one of the more rigorous sources simply because i this is one of the best expressions of it quote it is not enough to cast a spell upon an inert object 
Magic requires thought, intent, will, and emotion. The most common place that this sort of thing gets called out is with alteration magic, with the text Reality and Other Falsehoods and Gabrielle Byrne's own words in a Lawmaster's archive striking at quite similar themes, but I think that's reflective of a number of different forms of magic, so I'd like to suggest that it's true for magic as a whole. And so the will of the mage determines not only what they can do, but what form that then takes, and it also informs everything that they think about how magic works. I'd go far enough to say that magic, or at least magic in as far as it pertains to the different schools, seems to function like language as described by Ludwig Wittgenstein. For Wittgenstein, language was a social construct with rules enforced by different social groups interacting, which then gives words their meaning. Words have nothing intrinsic about them that gives them their meaning, then they will also change between different contexts. To give a really basic example for this, sinister means something completely different when you're talking about heraldry than when you're talking about horror fiction. And I think magic could function in the same way. Although independent hedge mages do exist, magic as we see it in the Elder Scrolls is generally learned within the context of formal tuition and that tuition will have an impact on what and how a given student can cast and how they understand magic to function. It also likely has an impact on how magic is used to create different effects. Different schools also have different ways of perceiving magic. They have philosophical underpinnings that impact the way they practice. I think reality and other falsehoods has the most blatant example of this quote. To master alteration, first accept that reality is a falsehood. There is no such thing. Our reality is a perception of greater forces impressed upon us for their amusement. Some say that these forces are the gods, others that they are something beyond the gods. For the wizard, it doesn't really matter. What matters is the appeal couched in a manner that cannot be denied. It must be insistent without being insulting. To cast alteration spells is to convince a greater power that it will be easier to change reality as requested than to leave it alone. Do not assume that these forces are sentient. Our best guess is that they are like wind and water, persistent but not thoughtful. Just like directing the wind or water, diversions are easier than outright resistance. Express the spell as a subtle change and it is more likely to be successful. Now this sets up the idea of reality as a consensus between different beings, if you like. And magic is the way in which a new consensus gets negotiated in a world that's basically radically subjective. And this, in a sense, gets back to an entirely different conception of magic from most fiction. And we talked in the beginning about how magic sometimes is the result of a bargaining process between the spellcaster and an entity. And this hints at that without fully committing to it, as far as I'm concerned. You're just negotiating with an aspect of reality to make your truth the one that reality agrees with. You are arguing with the laws of physics and it will actually work. Mysticism is another fairly obvious school that has some philosophical underpinnings, quite possibly because we have a textbook telling us quite a bit of the thought process behind it. Now I think about it, both of those come from texts that outline what those different schools of magic are so if we had textbooks on how destruction or restoration or whatever works that treated the things as a whole we would perhaps have a better picture of the underlying philosophies of those different schools but anyway 
Um, the textbook in question for mysticism is called Mysticism, the Unfathomable Voyage. And it states two passages that I want to call out. First, it says this, quote, The Sijiks of the Order of Arteum's term for mysticism is the old way. The phrase becomes bogged in a sigmatic quagmire because the old way also refers to the religion and customs of the Sijiks, which may or may not be a part of the magic of mysticism. And the second part is this. Mysticism seems to derive power from its conundrums and paradoxes. The act of experimentation, no matter how objectively implemented, can influence magicka by its very existence. Therefore, the mystic mage must consign himself to finding dependable patterns within a rolling imbroglio of energy. The book eventually declares that it's not certain what drives mysticism as a discipline at all. Uh, it's just a way of doing things, which drives home this sort of idea. It's the practice, the context that matters, and the way that magic is embedded in the act that's important, rather than using magic properly, so to speak. There's no one set of things that will get magic to work. It's just magic is almost a byproduct. Uh, the schools might be arbitrary distinctions, but they do seem to have a definite impact on both how magic is done and what that magic does. So you change that tuition and you may also explain why we have different spell sets in each game. The regions that we're in might teach magic differently, which then allows us to do different things with that magic. And it also means that the schools might change over time, that Shalador understood as the schools of magic might be quite different from what Venice Galerian understands as the schools of magic, even if they do share some kind of tradition as such and have the same names for it. The effect of a formal structure of magic tuition on magic itself is also expressed in how people from the Mages Guild and other institutions see the magic of those other traditions. And there's a book that examines the practices of Dunmurray, Ashland, a wise woman, and says this, quote, A wise woman employs the type of magic foreign to those trained in the use of the different schools of magicka. Her magic appears to be grounded in the natural world. And then they say precisely nothing else. Because exactly what grounded in the natural world means is unclear. But the context and the way that the book talks about things in the rest of it says that it's very different to how traditionally trained mages operate. It's also part of a cultural tradition that embeds the magic into other things. I don't have anything definite to confirm this, but I'd imagine that the Ashlanders wouldn't necessarily call what they do spells, but instead talk about it in terms of what ritual or customary action was being performed. The magic is one of the products of that kind of ritual or that practice, but it's not the only one. There would probably be some kind of byproducts as well that perform some kind of cultural significance or perhaps some other physical result that's not magical. There are also references to hedge mages in some contexts, generally as a derogatory term spoken by those who have formal magical training. And we don't know a huge amount about these, and they're obviously going to be fairly idiosyncratic, and no one really wants to talk about them, but I imagine they would also have a quite a different approach to thinking about magic as well given that the most prominent group of hedge mages that we know of 
are the Reachmen, I think we can definitely say that they would think about things very differently compared to other cultures on Tamriel. One of the forms of magic that you'll not see taught as schools, but present in several discussions in the fandom, is tonal magic. We don't have an awful lot on this as a definite thing from sources within the games, but the only form of magic that's referred to by name like this is the tonal architecture of the Dwemer, but you'll also find several fans talking about tonal magic a bit more broadly. The usual candidates for what tonal magic is will include tonal architecture, the thum, redguard sword singing, and on occasion, and I'd be inclined to agree, Bosmeri spinners and what they do. The thing that links all of these different things together is a quote from Michael Kirkbride that was originally made in an IRC chat. Quote, Tamriel, Starry Heart, that whole fucking thing is a song. It was made either out of 12 planets or from two brothers who split in the womb. Either way, it's the primal whale and those that grew up on it, they can't help but hear it and add to it or try to control it or run from it. The reason there is music on Tamriel at all is because it exists. It was and is and it will not stop. This is very similar to the music of the Arda in Tolkien's Legendarium. The song that the Aenor used to make the world is the biggest call out here, although it's different in that it's ongoing. It's not something that got played and then got made like it was in Arda, but it's something that is constantly ongoing and so the thinking goes all the forms of tonal magic are supposed to be ways to modify the song that is Tamriel in the terms of a song and each culture in theory has its own spin on that different attempts to add to it try to control it or run from it I guess and I'll give a quick rundown on those now tonal architecture is probably the best place to start although there's hardly anything written about it in licensed texts. It's been taken up by the community to be something that the Dwemer use reasonably extensively, and I suppose it's synonymous with the mythopoeic enchantments that Yagrim Bagan talks about Kagranak using. Uh, from what we see in the Antiquities Codex entries in ESO, tonal architecture is a thing that was used to create things, like literal architecture, I guess. So you create a schema and then you play it out and it gets created. We have the briefest of hints in another IRC chat log from Michael Kirkbride who has said this, quote, Tonal architecture can do anything synesthesia can do, unless you're a dumb deaf dreamer. And if we take that idea of synesthesia and run with it a bit, I would then say that we take the idea that tonal architecture can transpose, in inverted commas, reality from one form into another. So you have a set of tonal architecture schematics, and if you play them properly, you will then create what the design slash score said should be there. Uh, but that's about all I can really get from that particular one. Uh, the Thum is another one that's widely regarded as a form of primitive tonal magic uh, because it's shouting, it's making noise. It's taking that 
idea of the conversation with reality that we talked about earlier and finding a way to insist to stamp your feet and yell until reality gives in. Uh, maybe. Uh, this is one of the ones that's connected to tonal magic by fan conjecture and not a lot else, but I think it fits. That That's a think. That is entirely my opinion. You are allowed to disagree with that if you have any disagreements or ways to resolve that or more information on that please drop me a line at written in uncertainty podcast at gmail.com and i'll make sure it gets into the show and we get more and more tentative from here on in i'm afraid uh, the next one up is sword singing and sword singing is associated with tonal magic because of the singing component uh, it also involves the creation of to quote an image of a sword formed from pure thought. Uh, that's according to a compilation of Redguard history. It's also linked to the sinking of Yokuda, as that was allegedly done by a sword singer, if you believe that the Pankrata sword is what sunk Yokuda. So it could potentially do a lot more than summon a spirit sword, but we have no one who's really managed to develop it into a systemic form of broad magic yet. I have my own theories that if the Elder Scrolls 6 is in Hammerfell, then sword singing will spring back to life and be a full system for more things than just a spirit sword. But that's pure conjecture on my part. And the last one is Bosmeri Spinners. Uh, Bosmeri Spinners are tonal mages potentially because they can create change in reality with their stories. There's a magnificent quest in The Elder Scrolls Online that's part of the Old Merry Dominion storyline. And in that, the spinner Maruin tells you that a story that sends you back into a memory, which then alters that memory for everyone that was part of it. If Tamriel is a song, then this is perhaps the purest expression of that, although it is quite limited. Uh, you speak to Maruin throughout the quest and he'll say that the stories are both ongoing and already told. There's a bit of, not exactly tense confusion, but something like that going on. It's a question of which story is being told or sung at any given time, moment in time. He's a bit unsure about that. Uh, that may very well be a poetic expression of saying that people can influence the flow of events, although the magic to alter the past points to something that's quite a bit deeper and you also get into ideas of the spinners being the ones kind of gatekeeping what happens with the ooze and the green pact and various other things but that's all for another cast on the bosma uh the final form of magic that i want to talk about today is shadow magic shadow magic is one of those forms of magic that's a bit more meta if you like uh, like mysticism and tonal magic it interferes with the underlying structures of magic in its operation. It's dealing with literal shadows, but the shadows that things leave on reality, shadows of possibility and such like. To quote Stepping Through Shadows, it says this, quote, To the experienced practitioner, translocation becomes so routine that one almost forgets how difficult it was at first to learn, it is traditional to refer to this magical art as stepping through shadows, and indeed the key to its mastery is the ability to peer sidewise and perceive the shadows cast by each entity and object in the Arabis. These are not of course the literal shadows cast by the blockage of light by an opaque object, 
but the emanation of the limen each object possesses, the depth impression its existence makes in the local reality of the mundus. This requires learning to focus on the hyperagonal sense through which the practitioner perceives the flow of magicka. This almost feels like Einsteinian space-time, if I can put it that way. Objects leave an imprint on the idea of reality, much like you'll hear people talk about Einstein's space-time model, like um, having, a, having a rug strung out and then a ball rested on it, which will then distort everything else that's on the rug as it pulls it down. Shadow magic seems to rely on basically manipulating the rug in order to make objects or their emanations flow in different directions. Um, that manipulation is chiefly done by forcing a form of metaphysical conflict or manipulating metaphysical conflict, if we believe the first scroll of the shadow. Quote, Azra was the first to realise that shadows were not a mere absence of light, but a reflection of possible worlds created by forces in conflict. A light strikes a rock, and the shadow is a record of their clash, past, present and future. Other conflicting forces produced less obvious shadows, fire and water, wind and rock, or nations at war. With skill and patience, the shadows of all could be read and patterns teased out, emphasised or eradicated. Manipulating a shadow could, through contagion, manipulate the object or force which cast it. Now this is the foundational text of shadow magic really and just outlines all of the principles of it it's basically saying that shadow magic involves seeing all possible worlds and then teasing out and altering the ones that the mage wants to become a reality it's a subtle form of alteration i suppose where you're not really altering the pattern of reality but the stuff underneath reality changing which pattern reality is if i can make sense of that and the idea of it being created by conflict has also led some people to speculate on it being linked to Carl Jung's idea of the shadow. That is the idea that the shadow is the parts of the psyche that go unobserved or unnoticed by a person. It will be different for each person, but largely negative because we tend to suppress negative facets of ourselves in order to retain a positive self-image far more than we suppress good things about ourselves. And I guess we can fit that with the idea of the possible worlds for shadow magic. It's manipulating the unseen elements of a thing and therefore playing into Jung's notion of the shadow. And I suppose if we are going into the notion of the world being Anu's dream, you are manipulating the shadow parts of Anu, so to speak. I could be totally wrong in all of that supposition. And so if anyone can explain how that connects with Jung's shadow better than what I've just garbled out, please, please do let me know and I will clarify on the show. And perhaps the strongest link between the shadow and shadow magic is in the last part of that text that I read out. The idea of shadow magic manipulating and changing the caster links it quite directly to changes in the unconscious as far as I'm concerned. This also goes back to the relativity concept as well. The shadow mage is in essence tugging on the rug of reality while standing on it. Uh, if you do that, you're possibly going to fall over, you're going to move, something's going to happen, which basically means that you're going to fundamentally change something about yourself as well. And that notion of changing yourself is one of the perils and 
potentially goals as well, I suppose, of shadow magic. Although I don't think we've seen anyone try to use shadow magic for positive self-change. And that's about it for this week on magic. I do hope you've enjoyed this dive in several different directions with me throughout all the various different types of magic. And I'm sure I've missed some out. If I have, please email me, tweet me, whatever. Yell at me through whatever means you have so I can clarify stuff and let people know. And I do hope you've enjoyed it, though. And please do rate this podcast if you have enjoyed it wherever you can find it. And I will be reading out any reviews I can find on the show. Next time, we will be talking about one of the cultures that formed one of those types of tonal magic. This has been a listener request, so we are getting around to that finally. Next time, we are going to be asking, what are the Bosma? And until then... This podcast remains a letter written in uncertainty. You've been listening to Written in Uncertainty, a podcast written and presented by Aramithius and edited by Dopportunity. The music for this podcast has been kindly provided by Jan Glembotsky. Check them out on SoundCloud under Songs from the Lost Land, and I'll see you next time. Do you like adventure? Yeah. Do you like laughing? Uh, yeah. Would you like to listen to a group of people you don't know play D&D and reference retro pop culture you vaguely remember? Um... Excellent. You're going to love Committee Quest. We play D&D in the world of Amarin. We use adventure modules and supplements made by people in the community. We also have a sweet synthwave backing track. Come and join us on our adventure. Volume 1 has been completed. Volume 2 coming the end of January. You can find us on iTunes, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Hey, I'm Tom. And I'm Stuart. And we're from the Dungeons & Dragons Lorecast. We talk about all things connected to D&D lore. And we're on the Robots Radio Network. So if you're into Dungeons & Dragons or you're into lore, then come check us out. You can find us on any podcatcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you get podcasts. Roll more dice. That's the Dungeons and Dragons Lorecast. Since the dawn of time, there have been storytellers who teach through their stories. These myths give rise to fundamental truths, and these truths shape our collective experience. Yet these myths are not something of the past, and today they engage us more fully in the story itself. Video games allow us to live the lives of our favorite myths. My name is Blue Crew 86 host of Focus Fire Chat, and I want to invite you to explore our modern-day myths with us. Join with us as we explore the stories, the mythologies of the Destiny franchise, as well as other games. Let's explore together. <laughs>